trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, I want to welcome you to our program, my fellow wrong thinkers. I kind of take it as a badge of honor when people say, you know, I just can't get behind, you know, the official narrative on this or that. And we're going to talk more about that here in the next few moments. I want to mention that our show is brought to you by fantastic sponsors like my friends at the uh, Staples Hunter team at Patriot Home Mortgage. Very happy to have them as sponsors. And I'm just going to tell you right up front, if you are looking to uh, purchase a home, these are the guys you want to talk to. They started in St. George, Utah, the uh, Patriot Home Mortgage company did it's now 23 states strong and whether it's a refinance or whether it's a new home loan that you're looking for you talk to my friend john his lovely wife heather they will take care of you and you can find them at staplesmortgage.com again that's staplesmortgage.com also want to say uh, thanks to firesteel.com if you haven't got one and started a fire with it yet and i mean a responsible fire not a forest fire but uh, you should probably check that out too Let's go to the phone. I have Jim Sano on the line with me. Jim, I don't know exactly how to introduce you other than uh, you are, you're a voice of wisdom who regularly drops in with my friend Joe Carey, and I'm very honored to have uh, time to pick your brain for a little bit uh, today. Always my pleasure, Brian. Now, I, I don't know if there's, by any way, if, I mean, I've introduced you as a voice of wisdom. Is there anything you want to add to that, or should we just let that uh, stand and, and, and people can draw their own conclusions when, when they hear, you know, your, your observations? Well, I'm not good at taking bows, so <laughs> I would say let the, let the chips fall where they may. Okay. So uh, here's a question that I have for you. As I have been uh, watching, yesterday I went through something for the very first time. I went and I got tested for COVID-19. And I'm not going to say it was the most unpleasant experience in the world, but I really felt like maybe I was being fitted for a scarlet letter. Thankfully, the test results came back this morning and there was no presence of the coronavirus uh, in my test. But I, I just don't know how much of the narrative to believe and how much I shouldn't. I'd like to get your take. I'm pretty good in that field. I'm glad you picked that subject matter. The, test that you had came back negative. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. There's a lot of false positives, and there's a lot of positives that, uh, well, classifies as also false positives that are around the country. There's a lot of things happening. Uh, as in the case of food stamps or welfare, let's use that as a, as a template. Uh, you're out there proposing programs like this as a government agency to help people so that they don't get into trouble with a lack of food or a lack of housing or whatever the case may be, which is all good intentioned. Obviously, through the generations, because it's no longer years, it's generations, it's been abused. And that abuse has been because people feel that that's the way to go as opposed to going out and using this as a uh, springboard to pick up their own uh, bootstraps and get back into the labor force and be a, a traditional American individual. Go out there and work as hard as you can, make what you can, do a good job, be honest, and do a good day's pay, a good day's work for a good day's pay. 
well, this virus is on the same kind of level, if you look at that as a template. And what I mean by that is hospitals uh, and uh, caretakers do get a uh, stipend, I'll say, for positives, not because they want to generate more positives, but because if you truly have an individual that's got a positive, you've got to do treatment, and that stipend goes to further the cause so you don't bankrupt hospitals. And uh, that's, again, a logical uh, program to keep everybody as well as you can, and hopefully people pick up on the other side to do their part. And uh, I'm finding things are getting to a point where everybody checks positive because we don't want to miss out on that stipend. And uh, that's a bad way to go. That's the abusive side of the equation that we see happening around the country. The other side of that coin is the, uh, with that in mind, there's people that are, and I've heard this on more than one occasion, that are going for the testing, as did yourself. They stand in line or whatever they're doing for an hour, and they just get uh, kind of disgusted, and they leave the line, and they go back home. And uh, after filling out all the documentation, three days later, they get a notification that they tested positive when they didn't even give a sample. So there's also a fallacy that uh, leads me to the abuse of the positive reading. So you've got a false positive scenario based on everything I just said. The other side of that equation is what people do not tell you in the media, and I hope your audience is uh, paying attention to this part because I think it's important, is if we have a number, let's say in Utah, of 50,000 people testing positive today, Thursday, uh, and they put that out there and they make that as big and bold as they possibly can to scare the hell out of everybody with the intent that they will keep you in your house, away from the streets where you can do business, or in this case purchase things, or in this case vote, and they keep you off guard and on uh, uh, unsettled ground so that you can stay in the house. Uh, and at that stage of the game, what they're doing is they're literally trying to scare the hell out of the public. So what happens is the false positives uh, or I should say the correct positives, being the, uh, let's say, 50 or 100,000 that they report in Utah, using that as the example, 14 days or 18 days from now, let everybody use their imagination. If you didn't die from the coronavirus or you're not hospitalized by the coronavirus, where are the individuals, those 50 or 100,000 folks that tested positive 14 or 18 days later? Yes. I'll give you the answer. You're immune. So now, let's take all the numbers that they record every day, and let's go out 15 days. Forget about the past, starting today. 15 days from today, that 100,000 they reported, you have 100,000 people now immune to the disease on top of anything else they report, plus that particular 100,000 or 80,000 every day starting tomorrow forward. So you can see that the actual vaccine is being manufactured within your own body's immune system. They're not telling you that. The war on the hydroxychloroquine, that war is on because if that drug was released in volume, you'd have a lot more folks being saved every day from the infection. The infection would be muted, as in uh, the fact that the virus, which most people don't know, is dead. It's a center uh, hub of nothing. It's the corona around that virus that does the damage by embedding itself within the inner layers of the lung, where the lung takes an air on one side and passes the oxygen from that air into the bloodstream on the other. Uh, hydroxychloroquine shreds the virus. It shreds the virus like a rake through dirt. It shreds the virus. They can't have that out there. And, you know, people say, well, I can't believe there's a conspiracy effort to do that. And that's an understandable response. 
not a conspiracy scenario. It's a reality scenario that they're coming from, and here's what they're basing it on. What I just said is so unbelievable that it's unbelievable. That's my phrase. And the average logical person can't get their head around what I just said. But that's what's happening. And if your audience is a, is a tie over from Joe's particular uh, program, some of those folks heard Joe and my comment on that show with regard to what they did to the Bundys. That's so unbelievable that it's unbelievable. Now you take it from there. Okay, and for those who may not be aware, uh, if you just joined the program, uh, apparently the Ninth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals has upheld Judge Gloria Navarro's uh, her uh, dismissal with prejudice of the case against the Bundys. What that means is they're not going back to court. They are done. Those charges won't be filed again. And it also sounds like Todd Engel is going to be coming home. Uh, he may have to come back through Vegas for one more appearance in court, but it sounds like he is finally going to be freed. So there's some good news there. There. Jim, I got to thank you because that was one of the best breakdowns I have heard about how to manage all the information coming at us and, and not collapse in, in, a, in a you know puddle of sweat and fear over uh, the information that's being beamed at us pretty much 24-7. Yeah, there are people getting sick, but, uh, you know, I, I love how you broke it down. There are a lot of people, you know, I, I told myself when I went to get the test yesterday, if it comes back positive... I'm not going to be upset because I have a 99.8% chance of surviving. That's right. Now, there's one other thing I've mentioned to you. It's so dangerous. It's so bad. It's so uh, 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 worse than people think out there that people like yourself had to go and be tested to see if you're sick. You don't even know if you're sick. How bad can it really be? Think about that. Yeah. I mean, look, I was I was definitely not feeling well. And, and the only reason I went to get tested, this is the crazy part to me, is because that ripple effect is my son works at a place that has very, very strict health guidelines. And if anybody in his family has a cough or the sniffles or body aches, then he is put on quarantine. So he's on two weeks quarantine, even though I've tested negative. But that's that's that ripple effect that uh, nobody can seemingly escape. Well, I don't blame you for doing the test. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that, generally speaking, if you develop a, uh, a twitch in your face, if you develop a problem where you can't move your right hand and you know you've got potentially a stroke factor going on, you go to the doctors. Right. This thing is supposed to be a thousand times worse than strokes, heart attacks, and cancer. That's the way they play it out to scare you. And you can't even know if you got a problem unless you go get yourself tested. So how bad can it actually be? Now, granted, well we don't want anybody to get infected and have lung failure, Not obviously. i got to stop you I'm here because we're, we're up against the clock, Jim. Thank you so much for calling in today. Let's talk again soon. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, coming up a little bit later this hour, we're going to talk about what do you do when uh, when you're not presented with choices that really are acceptable to you on the November ballot. I know, it's hypothetical. Nobody's ever been in that situation. Okay, sarcasm off. No, actually, there are a lot of uh, folks in my home state of Utah who are, are feeling that right now over the gubernatorial race. The candidates that ended up on the ballot, they're like, well, this seems like the establishment pretty much just fielded its its chosen heirs, you know, the heir apparent. 
and they want some alternatives. And Jamie Renda is going to be joining me to talk about a, a write-in candidate campaign that she has been working on. Again, that's coming up a little bit later on in the program. Let's go back to the phone, 801-331-8113. Rob, welcome to the show. What's on your mind today? Oh, my God, what is isn't on my mind today? <laughs> I mean, I just heard, got some news that in the state of New York that they have a checkpoint now. Because of the COVID-19, they want to know who you are, where you came from, where are you going. You know, they won't do that with illegal aliens in this country, which is an issue that nobody's talking about because they're not really practicing social distancing. I, I see them going on construction sites. I see five or ten of them piling into a band. I don't see them wearing masks. I don't see them practicing social distancing. They're living in houses where they've got, you know, multiple people living. And, you know, this, this country is just, what happened to the American people voicing their opinion, calling up these politicians that are supposed to be serving the public? Because, I mean, we got so many problems. I mean, here we got Nancy Pelosi. They're fighting over a stimulus package for the American people. But when it comes to raising the debt ceiling, that bill gets passed through overnight without a peep from either side. To raise the debt ceiling to, to fund themselves. And yet we're sitting here watching this bickering back and forth between this woman. Can you imagine this woman's in charge of all of our money in this country and our financial? What, what the hell is wrong with the American people voting this person in year after year? Well, the, you, you know the answer as well as I do, and that is that most people just don't care. Apathy reigns, and that's one of the reasons why the system is doing what the system is doing. And for those of us who do care, and Rob, I clearly can hear in your voice, you care deeply about this. The frustration is that how do you get other people to, to even be aware? Uh, I've heard the quote so many times, you know, in the, in the course of this pandemic, it's, it's easier to fool people than it is to convince them you've been fooled. And I think that's where we find ourselves right now. Well, I mean, you're sitting there, you're, you're talking like, <laughs> that gentleman you had on before, I guess he's from the Northeast area, it sounds like, by his accent. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, he was on the uh, he was he was on the show before um, the Joe Carey show, and he was talking about the Ammon Bundy case. Yeah. And how, you know, the court system, you know, the guy, Ammon should be able to come back and sue for damages. And he should also get maybe three, four, five-fold back in return in compensation which I completely agree. But the only problem is, when you go and do that, who are you suing? Who are you accountable technically? The taxpayer. Yeah, the, tax, the taxpayers will be handed the bill. And I agree. If, look, if, if there is justice to be found and, and you want to really make it stick, take it out of the pension funds of the police officers, the federal agents, the judges, the, the jailers. Let all of them cough up the money to, to atone for what they've done. The pension funds go into their bank accounts. Go right into their bank accounts, like if we would have to do, you and me. This is BS, man. This is coming to a point now where it's getting way out of hand, and the people better start waking up this time. I, I can't stand to see this go on anymore. These people are out of control. It's out of control right now. And we, we're living it right now. It's happening right before our eyes. And if people don't wake up and start calling these public officials and stop voting them in, I'm talking about both sides, liberal and conservative. you got to get rid of these people that have been in 
support for 40 years, even on the liberal side, you're getting nothing from this Nancy Pelosi and this this Chuck Schumer. And, you know, they're talking in it all themselves. That's all they're doing, enriching themselves and stealing from you and me. Rob, I appreciate you sharing your mind with us today. I, I'm with you on this. And I, I don't know that my answer is the right answer, but I'm uh, rather than put more time and effort into the, the political system itself. Now, this doesn't mean I'm not going to vote. You know, I'm going to use my influence as best I can where I am. But I really believe that uh, the, at this point, we have nothing to lose by making politics, making governance, whether it's at the local, the county, the state or even the federal level, as obsolete as possible in our lives. Now, look, if you're a person who thinks in terms of, look, it's all or nothing, you're going to be disappointed. There's nowhere that I'm aware of in the world today where you can go and you can enjoy absolute freedom. So there are going to have to be some trade-offs here. It's not ideal, but we live in a less than ideal world. On the other hand, there's an awful lot that we can do to minimize our governmental footprint. And I've met some pretty creative folks along the years, uh, throughout the years, who have, have done a very good job of this. And I look, for some people it may be, um, I'm going to homestead. I'm going to have a little, uh, little herd of livestock and chickens and goats and whatever. I'm going to raise my own food as much as possible, solar power, that kind of thing. Not everybody is in a position to do that. But for the ones who want to get as off-grid as possible, I say more power to them. Anything that you can do for yourself that you don't have to go beg permission from some bureaucrat or some government functionary, that's a good thing. And if it means, uh, if, you know, just, let's just take, for instance, in the age of COVID-19. Eric Peters and I talk about this actually often whenever we get together each week. And that is, you know, go find like-minded people who have the skill set that you need. I don't like all the, the different uh, demands and the requirements that are placed on, for instance, uh, where I used to go get my hair cut. Oh, you have to come in, you have to wear a mask, you have to keep the mask on at all times. Okay, well, can I get my beard trimmed? Nope, we can't do beard trimming. That would be against government regulations. All in the name of keeping us safe, of course, but you know what? I still need my beard trimmed, and I don't see well enough, and I can't calculate the angles well enough to do a good job of it. So I do the next best thing. I go to someone who has those skills, who doesn't necessarily have a license from the state and therefore is not beholden to the state to do it according to the state's standards. Now, I realize for some people, they're like, holy cow, Brian, I didn't know you were a hardened criminal. Well, I don't really think I am. I think I'm a problem solver and that, you know, it's it's a mutually beneficial arrangement. The person who cuts my hair I pay, and I actually pay well. I pay, I pay them as well as I would pay, you know, the legitimate licensed salon that would have me all, you know, masked up and everything. And frankly, I get a very good job for what I'm paying. But we do it without asking permission from the government. Oh, and there is one other aspect to this. You know, do this if you dare. But when I go to pay this individual, as I hand over the money, I say very clearly, this is not payment. This is a gift, and the IRS allows you to accept gifts without having to declare them on your taxes, and therefore I am giving you this gift in exchange for being such a great person. You know, who also just happened to cut my hair, but that kind of goes without saying. By the way, you can do this for uh, people who work for tips and restaurants and so forth. This is not a tip. This is a gift, and, you know, under the IRS guidelines, you don't have to report a monetary gift 
Now, of course, there comes a point where if you're if you're spending upwards of whatever, I don't know what the 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 earning threshold would be. But if the gift is above this limit or if it happens this many times, then they're not going to see it as a gift. But the bottom line is I'm looking for even the little ways to push back, to minimize that government footprint. It's this is called agorism. And essentially what it is, is you start to live your life with as little government permission as possible. You're not out there victimizing anybody. You're not making anybody's life more dangerous or otherwise defrauding them of anything. The only thing you're not doing is enriching some bureaucrat's sense of power by going and begging them. May I please do this? Oh, may I pay you in order that I might do this? That might hurt some bureaucrat's feelings. But if you want to live like a free man or a free woman, that's the kind of way you need to be thinking these days. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Man, I'll tell you what, somebody dialed up the treadmill to 11 today. It is going fast, but there's a lot happening. I'll get back to the phones here in just a moment, 801-331-8113. Please do me this favor. Check out the show notes, which you will find posted each day that I do the show. I post them at uh, my website, thebrianheidshow.com. These are the notes for August 6th, 2020. One of the things I wanted to share with you was, uh, you know, yeah. There's a lot of talk about communism, probably because we have little revolutionaries running wild in the streets these days. But Michael Rosef, writing for LewRockwell.com, has a terrific breakdown of lockdown communism. And I'm not going to share the whole thing with you, but essentially he's he's talking about the covid inspired lockdowns, a worldwide phenomenon and likening them to lockdown communism. The people who put the lockdowns in place were state officials. They used the power of the state to enforce them and in doing what they're doing. They're destroying private property. They're violating property rights. They're tearing up property-based contracts. And it's this massive state-led, state-made destruction of all sorts of property rights that places the lockdowns in the category of communism. Because after all, communism is a primitive social system characterized by the state-enforced abolition of private property. Communism enforces decrees that shape social, economic, and political control. That's what the lockdowns have done. And what they continue to do. Fascinating read. Again, you'll find it in the show notes at the com. All right, let's go back to the phone. Hello there and welcome to the program. Hello, is this me? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, a question off air, but that's okay. Um, I'll, I'll just continue uh, on the topic of the, um, the your show. And Last call is really frustrated, and I can only assume that he's frustrated because he's just discovered that there is evil in the world, and there is good in the world. And, and I have to admit, in the 60s and 70s, I didn't think there was evil in the world or good. You know, I, I was just living my life, wandering through life, kind of floating down river. You know, I'd get caught in the rapids and I'd float down river here and there. And But once I discovered there is good and evil, well, then I had to decide who, you know, am I going to align myself with the good or with the evil? 
I have to take a side, and then I have to work on myself, you know, to be pretty solidly in on the side that I choose, you know. And um, once I've established myself, my character, with all my friends, they know who I am, they know the side that I'm on, then we can work as a group to promote either the good or the evil. And this is pretty much the game of life. Yeah, I'm I'm nodding my head in agreement. I, I'm curious though, Ray, when you say that you didn't believe there was good or evil, uh, was this when when you were? I mean, were you a teenager, young man? I, I'm curious what what stage of life was it where you just didn't know? I'd have to say I found out there was actually a force of good and a force of evil when I was 26. Okay. You, you know, and I and. I could go through, you know, what my adolescent years, my teen years, my uh, early 20 years was like and what I was doing and everything. But um, I don't know how much time you have on, on your show and what subjects you still want to cover. Well, I've got a lot of stuff to cover and I actually have a guest coming up here in a few minutes. But I appreciate you weighing in. Thank you so much. 801-331-8113. Yeah, the frustration that Ray heard in, in Rob's voice when he called in earlier I know there are people who are feeling it. And and part of it comes from the standpoint of, look, if you know what your rights are, or at least if you have a sense of what your freedoms and liberties ought to be, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's not a sign of weakness. Wow, you sound angry about this. No, that's actually an indication that somebody's paying attention. It's the people who aren't angry or who aren't bothered in the least or who just, I don't know, submissively are, well, that's the way it is and... What can you do? See, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not one who can, can embrace that mindset. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to walk around in a perpetual state of anger and grinding my teeth, you know, every second of the day. I think the thing that bothers me the most, the most is I'm getting that sense that I'm being gaslighted by so many people who hold positions of trust and who hold positions of authority. And as troubling as that is, there's a terrific article, actually. I'll probably try to share this one tomorrow. This is from uh, Carolyn Brashears, and it's from the American Institute for Economic Research, The Gaslighting of the American People. And she asked, how have you been gaslighted? A narcissistic leader and his supporters have persuaded you to believe what you know to be false. And this is not just politics as usual. She says it's an assault on your sense of reality. And that's the part that frustrates me. It's bad enough to know that, look, this person wants power and control over my life or my pocketbook or or some other aspect of my well-being. But the fact that they will sit there and lie and obfuscate and, and shade the truth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this and this and this. And, and expect me to believe it. I'm a bad person if I don't play along with the narrative that they and their lapdog press are trying to put forward. Now, I'm painting with a pretty broad brush. I get that. But I'll bet there isn't a person within the sound of my voice that doesn't feel that frustration at some level and a sense of I'm tired of people trying to manipulate me by fear or by shame or just the the sense that you're a bad citizen if you don't do this. When you know darn good and well, you're a decent person and you're trying to make the best decisions. It's easier to make those decisions when you have a little more complete information from which to operate.
but you don't even have the option of that unless you're really willing to do the homework and vetting of facts for yourself. And even then, there's still a chance you might get it wrong, but I'd rather take that chance than just mindlessly obey whoever's barking orders and believing, well, with this clipboard and these rules, we've got this thing all figured out. I guess the bottom line is I don't believe for a minute that all the lockdowns and all the threatened returns to lockdowns are doing a single thing to control or even slow the spread of coronavirus, which, you know, if I can be perfectly honest, I don't think is that scary to start with. If I lived in a, if I if I was part of a more uh, at risk demographic, maybe I would change my tune. But as it is, it's, you know, ninety nine point eight percent survivable. As near as I can tell, that's a pretty good bet. I think I would take that bet. Back to the phone. Caller, welcome to the show. Can you hear me, Brian? Loud and clear. Okay, my frustrations come from the people that keep putting these same people in office. Like all you folks out there that voted for Mitt Romney or the ones that voted for Nancy Pelosi, you know, that's where my frustration stems from. And they and I don't know why they vote for these people, because they must be benefiting one way or the other. And they're willing to throw the rest of the Americans and this country under their bus for their own personal gain. And that's the sad state we're in. Thank yep. you for nope. letting me rebuttal. Okay. No, thank you so much for, for calling back. All right. There was another one here. Let's see. This, this is... Uh, yeah, let's talk about the moralizing about coronavirus policy. I'm sorry, I'm a little stuck on coronavirus today, but it's it's only because I just I just had the experience of going through having to get the swab stuffed up my nose yesterday and you know that that sense of oh man, I hope this doesn't come back positive. Because I confided in a few people, I shared it with some friends, people I've been around in the last few days. Hey, just so you know, I had to go and get tested. And and the fear is quite real. The concern is real. And it's not just for them. They're not, hey, you're going to get me sick. It's like they're concerned about the people they've been around. So there's this ripple effect. And that puts, you know, it puts impositions on coworkers. It puts imposition on family. It still troubles me that my son, who actually really enjoys working, has to sit out his job for two weeks because we were truthful when he answered his daily survey that he has to answer before he goes to work. You know, is anybody in your household showing any of these symptoms? And there's a pretty long and growing list of symptoms. And maybe it's smart to be really cautious like this, but the part that I'm finding almost intolerable is the moralizing that goes along with this, this, this reckless impatience to make everybody must do this or else. Particularly, I'm troubled by all the mask attacks. Oh, man. You've, you've, got, to, you've got to tune in the Liberty Moms podcast. It should drop on Friday on the Loving Liberty Radio Network. And you need to hear Chris Kimball interview uh, Jacqueline Smith and Jacqueline's uh, example of what happened to her trying to fly home from Hawaii earlier this week. Ugly, ugly stuff. And it all stems from fear combined with a little bit of authority and someone who had a medical condition that would not allow her to wear the mask for long periods of time. Why do we want to control each other so badly? It's nuts. Stay with us. Jamie Renda joins me coming up in the next segment.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. I am happy to uh, welcome Jamie Renda joining me on the telephone. Jamie, how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. I know you've been a very busy person here of late, and, and it has to do with the upcoming election in November, but maybe not in ways that most people would associate a person being busy leading up to that election. Um, I know you have been heading up a campaign, and I'm, I'm going to use the word draft, uh, because uh, John Huntsman Jr. is not on the ballot, but you are one of a number of concerned citizens who says he really ought to be, and so you're, you're working hard to get him to do a write-in campaign uh, against uh, the Republican and presumably the Democratic nominees who will be on the ballot this November. Walk us through the process. I know that uh, there were a lot of people who said, okay, did, the convention didn't quite go the way that we had hoped, but uh, what does it take to get a candidate on the ballot or at least to get a candidate in the race when uh, when they haven't carried the convention? Well, he has to sign up as an official writing candidate before the end of August. And just so your audience knows that this has been successful on a state write-in ballot uh, in a Senate seat in Alaska in 2010. So this is doable. And 2020 is just a unique year between that we're going to do mostly write-in or mail-in ballots here in Utah. And uh, John Huntsman just has the name and the leadership and everything else. So if anybody can do it, John Huntsman can. Now, okay, so I have to ask you this. How does John Huntsman feel about this? Because, um, you know, I mean, he's he obviously he was in the running for the primary. Uh, Spencer Cox carried the uh, the primary election. But uh, I, I listened to a debate uh, a couple of months back. I was actually pretty impressed with what Huntsman had to say. Is is he uh, is he reluctant to, to, to step up and, and to run? I mean, does it take some persuading on the part of citizens like you and the others who are working to, to get him into the race for this November? I think there's a couple of things that are, are obstacles to overcome. One, he said he wasn't going to run as a writing candidate, and that's the biggest one that I, I get challenged with from people is that John's already said he's not going to. And I think he said that after um, he put the filler out there and didn't get quite the response back that he thought. I think a lot of the reason he didn't get the response back is people weren't aware that this was a possibility. They were a little uh, leery that it could throw the election towards the Democrat. So the math's just not there for that. If John ran as a write-in, um, it would divide some votes. But with 450,000 unaffiliated voters and four times Republican registered voters and Democrats, it's just not going to throw the election towards the Democrat. I believe wholeheartedly that John wants to run, and I've gotten that from good sources. Um, I think he just needs the right cover uh, to be able to get out there. I don't, you know, I think, and again, I'm one of these people and I'm trying to undo my misunderstood information on John Huntsman because I think we've all had this, when I say we all, a significant number of people have had this attitude about, you know, him being this uh, silver spoon Johnny is what he's often recognized as. And he's just not, he's just one of the most down to earth people. The more I learn about him and have, um, looked into him. He's just an incredible person. And so I'm trying to undo some of my own misunderstandings there, but I think he doesn't want to be perceived as running, you know, out there against the will of the people. So I think we've just got to get the will of the people 
up there realizing we need this, this uh, John Huntsman for leadership, but more than anything, we need him for uni- unification of our state, of our families during this time of crisis with coronavirus and racial tensions. We need someone like John that can pull us together. I've had some very serious misgivings about uh, Spencer Cox, uh, primarily stemming from his role as, you know, one of the authorities who has led out in the state's response to coronavirus. I mean, I've, I've seen firsthand and I've talked firsthand to people, uh, small business owners, for instance, who have been devastated by being told, look, your business isn't essential and, and espe- essentially told, you know, you just have to suck it up. And if, if you make it, you don't. Or if you make it, you make it. If you don't, you don't. And it just seems like there there was a... There was a decision from from the very top that, that seemed to say, look, we have no choice but to shut it all down. And I believe that a more accurate rendering would be they just saw no choice. And I think Spencer Cox is, is likely to just continue that status quo. That's very concerning to me. I'm curious, what as you've talked with with uh, John Huntsman Jr., what, what is his take on, on how uh, the, the coronavirus response could have been handled? Oh, I, I think he very much disagrees with how it's been handled in the state. And one of the areas that I know is being challenged right now is these no big contracts that went out with Spencer Cox. And they went to friends of Spencer's that donated to his campaign. And these were in the millions and millions of dollars. So I know John Dougal is doing an investigation right now into the ethics of that. But uh, also on the civil liberties end, I think John, especially being serving as ambassador, to not only Singapore, but China and to Russia, understands the importance of civil liberties and businesses being able to continue to operate. And he would have handled this completely different and uh, and values those civil liberties that uh, Spencer seems so willing to kind of forego um, in this crisis. And so I think John both disagrees with how Spencer's handling it and would just lead us in a completely different way with a much more positive energy and a cohesive direction. I want to say one more thing about Spencer too, because Spencer came out and said, Oh, I'm going to support Trump. Well, since he's got the nomination, multiple things have happened. One Tanner Ainge put out a tweet the other day saying he's endorsing Joe Biden. Well, guess who liked Tanner Ainge's tweet? Oh boy. <laughs> and Spencer Cox came out to undermine president Trump's concern on these uh, mail-in ballots. And Spencer, being over the elections here in Utah, should understand the significance of voter identification laws and other things that Utah has that most states do not have. So there are some states that are set up for a proper, you know, mail-out ballot or mail-in ballots, and there won't be the type of corruption that um, President Trump is concerned about. But Spencer should be intelligent enough to realize that the majority of states out there do not have the type of voter laws that we have, uh, voter registration and identification laws we have, and uh, it would be a very corrupt process. And so for him to come out publicly, not once, but twice, countering the president's concern on this, again, is just one of those things. And Mitt Romney, the same. Uh, they're just going to tag team President Trump, and uh, both of them, I mean, they're just two peas in the pod, uh, Spencer Cox and Mitt Romney, their best friends, and they have every intention to try to undermine Trump uh, once together once Cox is elected. But it's not even waiting until Cox is elected. They're already starting it. Jamie, I understand time is of the essence, though. If you want to get your candidate on 
uh, or into this election as a write-in candidate. Um, it's not something you can put off until, you know, late October. Tell me about some of the things that have to be done and have to happen quickly in order for this to, to have a chance of succeeding. Well, he has to make his intent known before the end of August, but I really feel like that's too late. Uh, he's going to miss out on a lot of great media time right now because there's a lag in some media things out there. I mean, there's an open window for him to get some attention uh, on this write-in campaign and build the momentum here in August. So I really feel like he needs to make this declaration before the end of next week. Um, and so he's just kind of decided this is what he wants to do. And I believe he really does want to do this and knows that his leadership is needed and that he has the talents to bring our state together. And he's just going to have to be a risk taker. I know he's a little bit more conservative on that and is not as big of a risk taker in these areas. But I think this is going to be one that he's just got to jump out there and, and trust that people will support him and that he's the right one for the job. And so I think it's really definitely all up to John, but I know he has interest. And um, even though he has said no, I know the interest is there and we just need to encourage him to step up and, uh, and to run with it and and trust that people are going to be there to support him. Okay. For people who are saying, all right, I'm, I'm with you, Jamie. I want to, to help out. Where would you steer them? Is there a website they can do, go to or someone that they can contact if they want to be a part of this effort? On Facebook, we have a, a Facebook group, a hashtag write in Huntsman or hashtag draft John. Make sure it's J-O-N, not J-O-H-N, draft John. And then also to sign up to show your support, draftjohn.com is a website. So draftjohn.com or hashtag draft John on Facebook. Okay. So pretty easy to find. As you are out and about, we're down to about our last 30 seconds here or so, but um, what kind of response are you finding as you go out there and as you meet with the public? Are people generally receptive to this idea? You know, I have all kinds of leaders here in Weaver County that will get behind John Huntsman in a minute as soon as he declares, but people are a little hesitant because he said he wasn't going to do it. So I think as soon as John declares he's he's going to run, he's going to get incredible support. Right now, I get a lot of people that would love him to run. And uh, if he shows some indication he's going to, uh, I think he would be overwhelmed with the amount of response that he would get. He can get some negative feedback, but uh, most people I talk to would love to see some attention. Jamie Renda, I thank you so much for being my guest today. By the way, I am going to come up to Brixton's Baked Potato at some point. I have got to try what you guys are doing. Thanks again. Uh, This is The Brian Hyde Show. 